All right, so this is forum for Sunday, October 25th. Uh, Dr. Bob Amio has agreed to lead a forum here at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. And we've, we've set up kind of a, this forum and next week's forum are both sort of taking a look at sort of the, the intersection of faith and politics. I don't know if you are aware, there's, uh, there's an election coming up in a couple of weeks time. Um, yeah, so either mail in your ballot if you haven't already or uh, figure out how to vote safely in person. And um, so we wanted to do a couple of forums. Uh, we're not really gonna, we didn't really wanna dive in too deeply to the, the issues of the day per, per se. Uh, we might talk about them anyway, just cause why not, right? Um, so, uh, but, so Dr. Amio has agreed to lead this forum, uh, taking a look at polarization and uh, maybe a little bit of how we got to this point. Um, he'll say more about that as we go along. And then next week for forum, uh, Dr. Catherine Biba, also of Hastings College, uh, is going to lead a forum on William Jennings Bryan, um, who uh, Nebraskans may be familiar with and non-Nebraskans also. So uh, with that said, I'm going to let in someone who may or may not be Bob Netterman, and I'll turn it over to Dr. Amio. All right. Well, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I gotta say, I'm, I'm very nervous because I'm went in thinking that I would try be an expert, but of course I've got experts, uh, sitting here listening to me. So I'm, I'm hoping perhaps we'll go have more of a, of a conversation, but my topic today is, uh, religion and partisan polarization. And, um, I'm curious, I was curious to explore why partisan polarization seems to have become so entwined uh, with religion. And uh, so just to, to start with, by defining my terms here, partisan polarization means that uh, we're actually polarizing on along party lines uh, and moving towards the poles and away from the other party. And polarization occurs when uh, we move from just having uh, opposing uh, positions on issues to actually having opposing values uh, and, and perhaps even getting to the point where we actually actively dislike each other or think that uh, the other party is actually uh, un-American or treasonous or a threat to the country. Um, and so, um, religion, it turns out, actually has become a, a pretty key part of that polarization, which has actually been taking place. <clears throat> Excuse me. We used to have uh, four regional parties. And um, so, of course, the, the Democrats in the South, white Democrats, were uh, conservative, especially on uh, you know, uh, civil rights issues, but also on other social issues. Um, we used to have liberal Republicans, um, mainly in the Northeast and, and perhaps out in California. Um, we had conservative Republicans and uh, we had liberal Democrats. And those, those four parties um, gradually went away and we be moved to uh, the system we have now, which is a two-party nationalized system, which also happens to be uh, aligned along ideological terms as well. So that we, you know, Republicans are conservative, also liberals are, and Democrat, Democrats are liberals also. Um, but it certainly didn't used to be that way. And um, as we explore, as we think about how that happened, uh, I think we'll see that that religion uh, became a, a part of an important part of that. Um, I'm gonna. I just realized I'm not sharing, so I'm going to uh, see if I can do that. Um, oh shoot! Okay. I'll just keep talking then. Is, um, it, is, it, is yeah. it not letting you, Bob? I, well, it, 
I'm I'm not familiar as familiar with Zoom as I would like to be. So um, I'm gonna. Well, I, no, it. I have this tiny screen, and the tiny screen doesn't seem to have a, sh a share. Ah, ah, found it. Okay. All right. There we go. Everybody can see that? Okay. So um, I would say that the parties really began to polarize um, in 1964. And that was when the uh, Civil Rights Act was passed and the Democratic Party started to win over black voters and, uh, and liberal white voters and lose um, more conservative uh, voters, especially in the South. Um, the Republicans began uh, by trying to attract the Dixiecrats with the, their states' rights uh, positions. Um, later on, Richard Nixon with his new federalism also uh, was meant to bring in uh, Southerners because it was also a sort of a states' rights version of, uh, of, of a national policy. Um, Plus, it attracted some libertarians. And then Reagan is really where we see the, the big jump. Uh, Democrats uh, leaving the party to because they really resonate with Reagan. He's uh, bringing um, a focus much more on social and religious conservatism. And coupled along with that is what we call today probably the culture war. Um, here's why I get really nervous and, and Dan Please correct me as if I misstate something here. But the um, evangelicals uh, were involved with politics right up until the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925. And the, uh, even though, of course, um, Scopes lost and uh, had to pay a fine for trying to teach evolution, um, the amount of ridicule <clears throat> that was heaped on uh, religious people after that um, drove a lot of folks out of politics. And so after that period, we see a lot of um, entrenchment among especially the evangelicals who form their own churches, their own uh, schools, camps, universities, and other organizations, and a general withdrawal from politics. And that continues largely into the 70s. <clears throat> now, normally we think of um, Roe v. Wade and abortion as being the, uh, the animating force behind getting uh, evangelicals back into uh, politics. But turns out that's not really the case, um, not, not initially. Um, Initially, the, the big issue is a case called Green v. Connolly, which, um, in which a, a federal court decided that because um, certain schools and universities would uh, deny um, admittance to uh, non-whites, therefore they were not entitled to uh, federal tax protection. Um, and uh, Bob Jones University is uh, probably the, the biggest one. They, uh, by 1976, had lost all the battles and, um, and finally had to uh, pay a fine or, uh, and, and, and lose their tax uh, protected status. And so at that point, the evangelical leaders are pretty upset. Here's government muscling in on um, on their turf, taking away um, their tax protections, threatening their ability to um, to to be you know, to to live the gospel as they understood it. Interestingly, also in 1976, is when we see the Catholic bishops starting to take a real uh, interest in politics as well. And voter guides start appearing. Um, Catholic organizations are producing voter guides, letting their uh, parishioners know 
who is um, pro-life and who isn't. To be fair, they're also talking about a lot of other issues, but 1976 is the first year where they actually uh, encourage Catholics to take an, uh, an interest in um, politics and specifically are, are talking about the abortion issue. Because of course in 1974, uh, or 19, sorry, 1973 is uh, Roe v. Wade. And so um, abortions now are, are legal throughout the country and they're actually starting to increase um, in, in numbers. So uh, I thought I'd, since we're talking about Catholics, take a quick peek at, um, at what happens here with Catholics. The bottom of this uh, scale, if you can see it, is 1972, and it goes up to 2018. Um, this data is from the General Social Survey, which is why it's you know a lot of sawtooth here. Um, it's it's not a nice smooth um, thing, but I I went ahead and and ran the data because I really wanted to see uh, at least in this survey what percentage of Republicans uh, were Catholic. And as you can see, the, it's a pretty steadily increasing uh, rate between 1972 and about 1989 when it levels off. Whereas uh, white Democrats were Catholic, a nice, nice, a uh, pretty clear, steady uh, decline. Uh, this is uh, kind of rather shocking because uh, a good number of uh, Democrats were uh, Irish um, and Polish and German um, immigrants who were Catholic, and it was pretty well established uh, with uh, their religion, their ethnicity, and their uh, party. Um, but we see, especially after the Reagan years, a, a pretty steady um, departure from the Democratic Party here. In 1978, abortion really gets onto uh, the national stage. Uh, in Minnesota and in Iowa, pro-life Republicans are swept into office uh, to the shock and amazement of, uh, of the pundits who, who didn't think, A, that it was an important issue or B, that Republicans could win those races. Um, and so at that point, the evangelical leaders um, realized that perhaps abortion could be a, uh, a key issue for uniting um, evangelicals and, and getting them back involved with politics. And so they, uh, even though one of their own is in the White House at the time, Jimmy Carter, uh, who was himself a, an evangelical, um, they decide that they're going to back Ronald Reagan and, um, and use abortion as the, as the issue. That, um, you know, they, they tried other things, uh, pornography, for example, it just didn't have the same uh, grab on people. But, um, combined with the, with the data that showed that more and more uh, women were having abortions, um, uh, especially white women, that that, was, uh, that really seemed to generate a lot of, of interest. Um, and it also allowed uh, building up an alliance with, with the Catholics, something that the evangelicals were not terribly excited about at first. Um, but the idea of building up their uh, political power certainly was, uh, was attractive. So they went ahead and back Ronald Reagan and start to push abortion as a, as a political issue. And uh, that uh, alliance between uh, the Republican Party and the evangelicals um, really continues throughout the 90s and the 2000s. And we see more and more religious whites uh, drawn to the Republican Party until by 2012, uh, you know, of course, it used to be that the Republican Party was more the, the party of the rich or the, the you know, upper middle class. Um, but by 2012, the household income is no longer a good predictor of whether someone's going to be a Republican or not. Uh, instead, what, what matters is how often they go to church. Um, and, and it doesn't matter that much which church, um, but certainly among white Christians, um, 
they're really drawn to uh, the Democratic Party, sorry, the Republican Party. Meanwhile, at the same time, we see the Democrats, at least white Democrats, becoming uh, increasingly less religious. And we see the, the growth of what's called the nuns, not the N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E-S, those who, who have no uh, religious um, uh, affiliation. And they are increasingly going over to uh, the Democratic Party. So if we uh, look at, at the data, again, GSS data, um, where um, we look at people's church attendance, um, I broke them into uh, basically those who attend more than once a month and those who attend less than once, once a month. And so uh, for Republicans, just about 50% gradually increasing to about 50% of Republicans attend more than once a month. And you can see that change over time. The, the more remarkable is among white Democrats as we see this uh, decline from 45% down to about 30%. Black Democrats, of course, uh, have their own dynamic. Um, Black Democrats tend to be quite religious and uh, don't, you know, the, the uh, secularization of the Democratic Party doesn't seem to really have an effect with them. Uh, if anything, their numbers go up a little bit. So where do we stand today? We stand with uh, lots of conflict. Um, uh, when we ask folks what they think, uh, the, uh, whether their own beliefs are uh, contrary to what, where the nation is, the two largest groups to say that they're in conflict are evangelicals and atheists and Jews. Uh, those three groups tend to be quite high in saying that there's a lot of conflict there, which is a little puzzling. Um, I think probably the, the, the biggest takeaway here is just that they have that, um, that perception that, it, that it's them against you know, the, the, the country. Um, and here are the numbers. Uh, clearly, the white evangelicals feel the most... Um, conflict. Uh, they say 66%, two-thirds of white evangelicals say there is um, a great deal or some conflict between their religious beliefs and mainstream American culture, whereas 57% uh, of atheists and 52% of Jews um, say that. Everybody else is much lower, much, much below 50%. Um, one of the things that uh, I was looking forward to talking about was the, uh, the wonderful statistics about people uh, preferring to have their children date someone of a different race uh, than of a, or perhaps of a different religion than of a different party. Um, turns out that those numbers are hard to find and, and hard to replicate over years. So, but I did find a, an interesting study that looked at dating. Um, a lot of folks will talk about marriage and, uh, and how people tend to marry people of a, of a similar party. Um, but this study actually looked at online dating and tried to figure out how important party was in terms of whether a, a couple actually you know, got together for more than one date. Uh, it turned out that um, politics was about this as as important as the same, having the same level of education. So um, per, perhaps Damon will feel much better about this, but uh, it turned out religion was much more important. Having the same religion was much more important on, in this study than, uh, than having the same political party. So not what I expected to find, and, and perhaps that's comforting. I was expecting to find uh, to talk about people changing their religions to match their politics, which uh, I think still happens, but um, it's just the evidence for it uh, is, is hard to find. More anecdotal, I guess, than anything. Um, what we do have a lot of data on is feelings about religious government um, entwinement. 
And what's interesting is that religious Protestants of all races tend to favor more church involvement in political matters, which is, uh, you know, an about face from 100 years ago when they were quite eager to, to step away and didn't want that. Um, in fact, when we look at, well, perhaps this is interesting, uh, you know, about two thirds of all Americans um, think that religion should stay out of uh, politics. For Republicans, it's closer to 50%. Um, and then white evangelicals are um, a majority think that the government should be actively um, involved uh, with religion. And we can delve into some specifics here. Um, so we can see that uh, churches and other houses of worship should keep out of political matters. How many people agreed with that statement out of all adults? 63% uh, of Americans agreed with that statement, but um, we see that um, the smallest groups were evangelicals and uh, blacks or, or people who uh, attend historically black uh, religion uh, denominations at 43%, so 20% uh, lower than the overall numbers. And then when we ask if uh, churches and other houses of worship should express their views on day-to-day -day social and political questions, again, those very same groups, uh, over 50% in both groups agree that that's a good thing, that uh, churches should be involved. Um, the ones who feel strongly uh, against that, mainline uh, the Protestants, um, and then, uh, you know, Jews and Catholics are right up there with, with the general adult population. The especially high ones, though, are those who are unaffiliated, the nuns, the atheists, the agnostics, uh, who, not surprisingly, don't want churches involved at all. If we ask specifically about should the Bible have a great deal or some influence on U.S. laws, uh, white evangelicals, almost 90% of them want to see the Bible involved. Black Protestants uh, aren't that far behind at 76%. And we see this, uh, if we look at this uh, by party, two thirds of Republicans want uh, Bibles, the, the Bible to have some influence on US laws. So by 2020, the white evangelical Christians have become a, a key part of the uh, Republican uh, electorate. Certainly um, three quarters of them uh, identify with, uh, with the GOP. And um, the interesting thing about that though, is that this is actually a, 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 a smaller and smaller part of the general electorate. Uh, the total share of voters who are white Christians um, has fallen to about 40% and white nuns are about 25%. So the, the Republicans have, uh, have narrowed who they're drawing from um, to pretty much white Christians, especially white evangelicals. And that group is actually falling in size. They're getting more and more of the people in that group, but as, as a whole, that group is falling. Um, and we can see it in this, uh, in this chart, we compare 2009 to 2019, and we can see that the uh, white Christians are increasingly going uh, more and more, becoming more and more uh, Republican and that's especially true for white evangelicals. When we look at young people, only about a quarter of today's young adults are uh, white Christians. So uh, for the Republican party, it looks like they are going to have to um, look somewhere else soon, not right away, but soon. Uh, it, rather than keep depending on this one segment of the population for support. Um, so that's, uh, I've got 
some more charts, but I, I wanted to pause there and ask if, uh, if y'all had any questions or comments. Dan, did I uh, say something wrong here? Yeah, I'm not the state, Bob. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was uh, rather um, surprised that, you know, after the Scopes Monkey trial, <clears throat> I guess I never did realize, I, but it's true that evangelicals tried to pull themselves out of politics. Um, that's that's very interesting. You know, of course, I I only started living about the time that they started getting back in. So, um, but the question I have, and I, I don't know if it's relevant here or not, but someone sent me yesterday a, uh, a statistic on the number of early voting uh, ballots that they have. And apparently people, between the ages of 18 and 25 have on average increased their early voting by about four or five, per, four or five times. Mm -hmm. Maybe last year in Washington state, there were 50,000 uh, between the ages of 18 and 25. And now there are 250,000. So the other thing to take into consideration here is, is age. And I just wonder how much, how many of those white evangelical Protestants where, where does their age group fit in? My guess is that they're losing people in those early age groups, 18 to 25. Yeah, I, I think so. And, but it's interesting because I've, I've come across uh, two different statistics or, or thoughts on lines of thought on this. One is that, um, you know, it's, it's good news for the, for the Democrats that so many young people are voting because two thirds of the, of the young voters are voting Democrat. On the other hand, um, some survey data shows us that actually young, young people are starting to turn back to conservatism. Um, and also that um, young people are uh, tending to adopt their parents' partisan leanings more than they used to. Um, you know, for those of us who remember or grew up in the 60s, uh, you know, of course, you know, rebellion against your parents was sort of a <laughs> de rigueur, right? <laughs> um, but today, uh, it's amazing the amount of congruence between parent and child, adult child, um, is almost as high as it is between uh, married people, uh, something like 75%. Um, so, I'm wondering if all of these young people well, who are growing up with Fox News or MSNBC in their homes are just simply going to follow suit and follow their parents. Um, so I'm not sure that, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm hearing data from, from both, both sides. Um, you know, I think that, I blame that on the minivan, frankly, you know, spending every hour of your day with, with your parents in a, right. a, a caravan vehicle. The biggest thing, though, that and there is no doubt about this, is the number, the percentage of our population that is white is steadily decreasing, right? Um, we're because of immigration and um, because of higher birth rates among um, non-whites, the uh, just simply demographically, um, more and more non-whites are, are entering the, the, the you know young adults, and uh, and they are overwhelmingly voting Democrat, and that's something that the uh, Republicans are not doing a great job right now uh, with uh, reaching out to those folks. Bob, I think that Will had a question. I want to get oh, give him a good chance to get time. in. Uh, how many of you remember the name Jerry Whalen? Any of you? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, yes. Now, somehow I was on a committee with Jerry in about 1970, and the Whalen 
energy plant is named after Jerry. Now, he was very smart and a very good speaker, and he was lieutenant governor. He was St. Cecilia's Roman Catholic, and I remember him talking a lot about how solidly democratic the Catholics were. He even talked about the area north and south and east and west of St. Cecilia's was the Catholic democratic ghetto. <laughs> yep. Now, so Bob, it's a compliment to you. Your charts help me understand better what I think we all know has been happening, which is the movement of Roman Catholics from Democrat to Republican. I mean, the data shows that. And that maybe one of the major reasons is the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, Kathy and I were Catholic uh, up until just uh, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and so we were, uh, we were a part of that and, and watched uh, many of our friends be first politicized by the abortion issue and then adopt many of the other uh, Republican issues uh, and afterwards. So um, I think that it's an interesting dynamic to think about in terms of you may be brought into the fold on along one issue, but then you seek congruence after that and start to adopt the other positions that you may not have been open to earlier. And, and I'm, it's not something that just happens to Republicans or conservatives, it happens on, on both sides where people um, you know, will take their cues from, from their peers, from the people who they wanna be accepted by um, or are spending a lot of time with and, and learn from them and learn what the correct uh, you know, issue positions are on gun control, taxation, um, you know, what, whatever. And so, you know, we have good friends uh, who are staunch Catholics still who now we're, are quite happy to, to talk about, uh, you know, Joe Biden's sons and, 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 their, and their peccadillos and, and their laptops. And, you know, they're, they're willing to, they, they've, they've totally embraced, you know, the, the entire partisan package. Um, so it's, a, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that so many Catholics have, have switched over and, and are, are so close to the Republican Party. Again, uh, white. Uh, Neil Hawk. Yes. Uh, hi, could yeah. you, hi, could you talk about uh, how the educators are uh, divided between Republicans and, and uh, Democrats and their influence as well as the influence that you've been talking about, about the religious influence? Educators. Um, well, um, don't have a whole lot of data on that. Of course, we know that um, teachers unions tend to be, uh, you know, pro-Democrat because of, of the, the labor union part of that. And we also know that university professors tend to be um, liberal because generally, though, that the thought is that um, the more educated uh, you become, the more uh, liberal you become, and so that's those. Those are it's it's hard to to see how those are. It, it, that's not to say that there aren't um, obviously you know conservative teachers and conservative uh, uh, college professors, but um, both of those groups at least. When they're when they're acting out in the open, they seem to be um, more democratically oriented. Is that what you're thinking of, Neil? Well, you mentioned that the uh, you tend to be what your parents are because of the minivan. You're in the minivan. Well, do you tend to be what your teachers are because you're in school so many years? I don't think so. Um, I think. Uh, well, I mean, just talking from personal experience, my, my students tend to be um, very much uh, followers of either their parents or their friends. Um, our 
at least at, at the college level, there, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of um, students who are eager to, to follow their professors. Maybe Dan, Dan probably had a different experience than I did. But, uh, my, no, my students tend to be pretty darn uh, independent and eager to take on my, me or, or each other. Or unfortunately, the, the, other, the other thing that I see a lot of, especially with my more conservative students, is that they just assume that um, I and the other students are liberals and they just shut down. They don't want to talk about it. And, um, and they'll just be quiet. And, um, you know, and I try to provoke them and get them to talk about their, um, about their feelings or, or their beliefs or, uh, or to ask their questions. And they, uh, every now and then I succeed, but most of the time they just, you know, sit back and, and are quiet. And, and that actually concerns me. I'd rather have, I think a lot of our students at Hastings College are conservative or certainly they're coming from conservative homes and, and that's their initial orientation. And I think um, many of them are, are nervous about talking about politics. And, and I, uh, I'm constantly looking for ways to try to get them to open up and, and actually um, go ahead and, and challenge professors. And unfortunately, of course, they're, they're coming from places where uh, generally they don't wanna challenge authority they've been trained not to do that. So that's, I, I see that as a bigger, bigger problem right there. Thank you. Bob, I also wonder if the reason they don't want to talk about politics is because the models of talking about politics we have these days, you know, involves a lot of vitriol and a lot of, you know, yelling across the aisle and things like that. They feel like they might be, you know, uh, getting into some sort of rather aggressive conversation. We don't model good civic discussions about politics as well as we should, or at least our media uh, tend not to do that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and and the, the general, um, you know, the general assumption that, um, you know, we all have our own sets of facts, that there aren't any, you know, uh, objective facts that we can all agree on um, really makes it difficult for, uh, for us to have conversations. It used to be that I would um, assign people uh, to look at a, you know, an issue, marshal the facts, you know, bring them and then maybe have a debate in class or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that's actually the most constructive way to do that anymore. Rationality no longer is, is, seen as is accepted as the uh you know the the be all and end all of of of, of logical or, or of uh, of of discourse um logic is not necessarily the, the the best way to carry out discourse at this point i'm actually leaning more and more towards uh trying to do projects together where liberals and conservatives um, have to work together to solve a problem um, and become aware that their partners may not have the same uh, political leaning that they do, but that they actually can come to some conclusions about, you know, what the problem is and how to solve it. Um, so uh, by some, in a, in a way, I'm sidestepping a lot of the ideology and a lot of the, um, politics and instead trying to get them to just simply work together and realize that, you know, maybe that LGBTQ person or that, uh, that Republican, uh, you know, religious person is, is not the boogie man or boogie woman that, uh, you know, the meet their, their media sources are telling them uh, they are, and instead they can actually work together. Bob, I have, I'm curious about what, maybe, I don't know if you have any idea or not, what percentage of the general U.S. population claims an affiliation with either Republican or Democrat parties? Does that make sense? Sure. Um, well, this is a kind of an interesting question because 
when we ask people if they're uh, liberals, uh, sorry, if they're uh, Democrats or Republicans or, or what party they, they uh, ascribe to, um, most of them say that they're, they're independents. Um, but then when we say, well, yeah, okay, you're an independent, but which party do you lean towards? Um, when we push them a little bit, most of them will choose a side. So political scientists today will actually instead lump the leaners in with the, with the, the declared partisan members for a good reason. Turns out that if you say that you lean towards the Republican party or lean towards the Democratic party, you're actually more engaged and more likely to adopt the party stances than if you say, yeah, I'm a weak Republican or I'm a weak Democrat. <laughs> so uh, it's this odd, uh, you know, there, there, there's something about calling yourself an independent or saying that you're not a party, you know, chill, um, you know, that, that seems very American. Um, but if we can get you to, to tell us which side you lean towards, yeah, we, we, we know pretty well where you stand on things. So I would actually say that um, probably two thirds, if we, we if we count the leaners, at least two thirds choose a side, and probably it's more like three quarters. Does that same sort of thing phenomenon carry over for religious identity as well? Or I guess someone said, "Well, I'm I'm a I'm a non I'm a weak." I'm a weak uh, Presbyterian, right? Yeah. Or if someone says, well, I lean Presbyterian um, or I lean evangelical or. Yeah, I have not seen uh, the, I don't think anybody's asked that, that quite that way. Oh, I would, but in fact, we, you know, it used to be all about what is your religion? What is your denomination? But there are so many, of course, denominations now it's far more helpful to know how often do you go to church? And that, that tells us so much more about, um, or helps us really predict how you're gonna vote or what your feelings are on a lot of different things. Just simply how often do you go to church? Um, I mean, unless you're a member of a very specific religion, you know, like, uh, like the Jewish religion, so. I think what's, what I find is really striking is the number of students, even at Hastings College, who come to school having no religious background at all. And um, I have to, you know, if I'm gonna make any sort of religious illusion or talk about, um, you know, evangelicals or fundamentalists as opposed to, you know, the black uh, church, for example, uh, there's there's no background there. I have to actually explain it all, um, and 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 I find that really really interesting. I, I I really hope that we start to we go back to having some sort of at least religious literacy or something, so that our students have get some background in the Bible and in and in our our religious uh, history. Um, so I think there are a lot of folks out there who are basically blank slates in terms of religion and you know, could be evangelized, could be um, educated, brought in by any of, the, any of the, the churches. The big thing that holds a lot of them back though is that they see religion as being about conflict, about being, being about judgment, um, about you know, that, that sort of thing. And, and they just don't want any part of it. So. Um, I have a question. Oh, if I, if I may, I have a question, you know, some of your uh, data showed uh, the tendency of, of evangelicals to want uh, their faith to be informing the government. But I was wondering if you had any data on the reverse, because what I see is this rise of Christian nationalism uh, in which, you know, the two almost become one, uh, that, you know, that politics and religion almost go hand in hand in hand. And I think that's what I see a lot of right now in the Republican Party. Uh, you know, uh, the claims that are being made about Donald Trump 
uh, being a prophet that has been foretold in Isaiah 45 and things like this. Uh, so I don't know if you have any uh, insight on that or any just opinion. Yeah, well, um, I think you're you're right on. Uh, Christian nationalism is definitely rising, especially if we um, if we identify with what it really is, white Christian nationalism, um, and that it is. Um, yeah, I think this confluence of looking for any any way to justify the uh, the political connection with with the religious connection is there and so you know turning to biblical texts or turning to uh you know the founders and maintaining making the argument that well the founders were actually you know christian and and therefore you know and fundamentalists i love that one they were fundamentalist christians and uh and founded the, the country in that um you know in that vein which is not true but um that 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 argument seems to really get a lot of resonance um, amongst uh, a lot of Republicans today. And so that's, I mean, I think it's, it's normal, it's natural. We, we look for ways to, to buttress our positions. Um, but I think the danger of that white Christian nationalism taking over the Republican party is that, um, well, in the long term, there aren't gonna be a, that many white Christian nationalists out there and that party will end up being eclipsed by something else and not sure what that is um you know it makes sense for the hispanic or for the latino uh community to move into the republican party um you know family oriented very religious um you know very entrepreneurial um and so that would seem to be a natural fit if the republicans could change their stance on immigration um, but that they seem to be unable to do that probably because of the, you know, the white nationalism part of it, but, um, not, not sure, not sure what's going on there, but I, you know, change is a coming for the Republicans and, um, and I'm not sure where it's going to come from. Can I ask another historical question? Oh, <laughs> Then there used to be like a bull moose party, and uh, when yes. did we end up? When did we end up with? I know you talked about having sort of four regional parties. Um, right. Like when did we? When did we come to have two parties? We've always had two parties. George Ugh. Washington. George Washington had ended up with two parties in his cabinet. You know, as as. Anybody who watches, uh, who, who enjoys listening to Hamilton uh, will hear that that rap battle actually did, okay, they didn't rap, but um, there really was a, a, a fight between the Federalists, uh, Hamilton's side, and the Jeffersonians. And ever since then, we've largely had two parties. There was a brief period where we didn't, we only had one party uh, in, in the early 1800s, but for the most part, uh, we have always had two parties. The Bull Moose Party was the one time when a third party did really well in an election. And that was when Teddy Roosevelt, who was incredibly popular, um, came back from his safari and in in doing his safaris in Africa, realized that the Republican Party had abandoned his progressivism that he had worked so hard to try to inculcate into the party and uh, decided to take on a sitting president. And so he ended up splitting the Republican party. Um, and so uh, he, his progressive or, or bull moose party um, nominated him, he ran against Taft, split the, split the Republican vote, allowing Wilson to win. Um, well, so third parties tend to be really, um, successful not okay they're not really successful more successful uh when they have a personality like teddy roosevelt or ross perot um actually heading them so perhaps donald trump uh if he were to be defeated uh, this term and decided he wanted to get back into politics and ran again in 2024 and the republicans 
declined to nominate him and he ran ahead and ran as his own, you know, as the American party or something like that, um, we could see that dynamic again. Um, slight chance that the Republican party would shatter and, and Republicans would either join the American party or join the Democratic party. Um, but, or, or it would be a flash in the pan, the American party would, would exist for one term, you know, one uh, election. And then when Trump retires, then it, it would just go away. Um, so yeah, there's something about uh, the American psyche that seems to be generally attracted to only having two choices. And also, of course, our electoral system, where the uh, the winner takes all, and um, and so that also encourages just two parties. Uh, I'm going to start to <clears throat> draw us to a close. Maybe maybe one last question, perhaps, if there's one out there. I'm going to give a nice lengthy pause like Dan's cat has lengthy pauses. Um, um, okay, so then I'm gonna go ahead and, and draw us to a close. Um, my thanks to Dr. Amio for joining us this morning. Uh, next week, same time, same link, um, Dr. Catherine Biba, also from Hastings College, is going to lead a forum on William Jennings Bryan. So if you're uh, curious about uh, the intersection of faith and politics, specifically looking at uh, the life and times of William Jennings Bryan. That should be um, very interesting. Catherine, Dr. Biba always does a very nice job with those sorts of things. So um, my thanks again to, to Bob, um, Dr. Amio, my apologies. Uh, I would like to close us with a word of prayer if that is okay. Loving and gracious God, I thank you for your word, which comes to us and and calls us to be curious um, and curious about the lives of others. Um, your word comes to us and calls us to be to act in ways that are loving, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to love you with the entirety of our being. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful to your word. Help us to always keep those commandments in mind. Uh, the commandments which your son, Jesus, said are the greatest, to love you with our whole being and to love our neighbor as yourself. Help us to continue to be curious, continue to be open to the deep questions of life. In your gracious and loving name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Very interesting. Yes. Thank Thanks you, Bob. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. It was great. Hi. Thank you all. Have a lovely have a lovely day. Tune in for worship. It's about to start. Okay. Thanks, Bob. We're good. Hi, Bob.